This morning we're reading from Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at those words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God... All things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So Mark begins this section of the story telling us that Jesus is about to go on a journey, but just as he gets started, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man is interested in his ultimate eternal welfare. What's going to happen to me? I would like to guarantee that I'll be with God for eternity. Not a bad goal. But it seems from the very beginning that Jesus senses that this man is not only calling Him good, but that this man thinks that He is good. And good in a way that suggests that maybe He and Jesus are just a little bit better than everyone else around. This fellow seems to have a sense of pride and arrogance about him as he runs up and stops everything that's happening to ask his question, to have everybody listen to him. And he seems to have the idea when he says, what must I do, that he controls eternity rather than God. You hear the pride 
even more so when Jesus is beginning to talk to him about the commandments and before Jesus can get through the ten, which is the list he started on, the man interrupts him and says, Teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. It's like the student raising their hand, look at me. I've done it all. I've gotten it all right. I'm the one. But Jesus suggests to him that his idea of goodness, the idea of goodness he is using in terms of comparing himself to others or even to the commandments of God is not the right standard. Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Jesus says God is in a different category. God is the standard of goodness, not you, not me, not the others you look at. But if you want to think about goodness, think about God. Because God alone is good. Now, Jesus is willing to have the conversation with this fellow. He seems to want to correct some of his perspective, but he never suggests that this man is not worth teaching or worth talking to. He never suggests that this man is unworthy. In fact, Mark makes it clear in the story when he says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And loved him, Mark tells us. Even though he seems to have the wrong perspective and attitude, Jesus still loves him. It's in contrast, I think, to how we often look at others. It's so easy for us to fall into the trap of looking at other people and thinking, oh, I can find one here and one there. I'm a little better than them. I'm all right. I'm afraid too often... We feel pretty good when we think, oh, I'm a little better than them. I'm a little smarter or a little wiser. I'm a little wealthier than them, so I must be doing all right. It's a trap. The Gospel says to move into that kind of thinking and analysis and reasoning is a trap. Jesus talks about it in a variety of places, but one of the great places was when He tells that story, that parable. You may remember this. Two men are coming up the temple to pray, Jesus says. And one man comes up boldly, and he's praying out loud, and he says, I'm so glad I'm better than all these people that lie and cheat and steal and act out sexually. And he sees the other man coming, and he goes on to God and says, And, and in fact, O oh Lord, thank You that I'm not like this guy. This tax collector. He's kind of on a roll at that point in his prayer with God. He's feeling so good about it. He points out to God, and by the way, remember, I fast twice a week and I tithe. feel like he's about ready to spike the football. Like, I got this. Look at me, Lord. I scored. I've taken care of everything. And then Jesus says, but there's another man coming up to the temple to pray. He is a tax collector. Read, traitor. One who's cooperating with the Romans who have invaded and taken over and controlled the Jewish homeland. 
Jesus says this tax collector comes and he bows his head. He won't even look up. And he says, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, It's that man that goes home justified or forgiven. And then he concludes the story by reminding those who will listen, those who are exalted will be humbled. And those who are humble will be exalted. It sounds a lot like the very last verse we read this morning where Jesus says the last will be first. It is a trap to begin to compare ourselves to others who we believe are less worthy than we are. We identify their sin and then we conclude or decide we are good and they are not. Then in our zeal to be good, we often become proud and in our pride, we become judgmental. And in our judgmentalness, we exclude those whom God includes. And at that point, we have fallen into the trap. And the Gospel tries to point it out to us as a road not to follow. Jesus puts all of us in the same category, saying none is good but God alone. All of us are in a different boat. We are sinners. We make mistakes. We fall short. And yet the Gospel goes on to say, and Jesus loves us all the same. None good but God, and Jesus loves us all Not because we are good, but because we are children of God. We're part of God's creation. We're part of God's family. And we are therefore loved. William Willimon was our Barton Clinton lecturer here back in 1992. If you were here, then you might remember him. He was the chaplain at Duke University. Since then, he... He'd been elected bishop and served years as a bishop and is now retired. He continues to teach and write some. But while he was here, he told a story on himself. He said it was a Saturday morning. He was up early. He was walking across the Duke campus. He said it is a beautiful campus. And yet there had been some festivities the night before. The students had been out and they had left litter all over the campus, including apparently a number of beer cans. And he said he was just disgusted with them and he was so angry at them. And in his mind, he was ready to write them off and maybe even kick them out of school. And then he said, in the middle of my disgust, I thought, oh my. That's the difference in the place where I am on my spiritual journey and where Jesus is. Because the Gospels tell us 
Jesus had compassion on them. Mark simply says in our story today, and Jesus looked at the man and loved him. Jesus loved him. Verse 21, right after all the prideful things the man has said, Mark writes, Jesus looking at him loved him and then said this, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now here comes an interesting turn in the story. As soon as Jesus answers the question that the man had been so eager to ask earlier, Mark tells us when the man heard this, verse 22, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. Early in the story, the man is so eager, he runs up and kneels before Jesus to ask his question And now that Jesus answers it, Mark says he's shocked and leaves grieving because Jesus has raised a question beyond what the man had thought of. He came thinking, I've got this. I'm good with God. This teacher will affirm me for it. Rather than that, Jesus asking the question, what do you trust most? Is it your trust in God or your trust in your many possessions? I think it's still a relevant question today. Now, I don't take this teaching of Jesus as a universal principle saying that everyone who wants to be a follower of Christ must sell everything they have and give all the money to the poor. I think Jesus sees in this man a specific situation and gives him a specific remedy to deal with his pride and arrogance and the place where he has opportunity to grow in terms of his spiritual maturity and his intimacy with God. But I do think it raises for us the question of the proper place of wealth and possessions in our lives. It raises the question of whether or not you own your possessions or do your possessions own you. You can tell the difference because if you own your possessions and you're in charge, then you can freely give them away. But if you begin to think about giving something away, even to God, and you begin to experience a good deal of anxiety and insecurity and fear, it might be a sign of who owns whom. The Bible gives us some wisdom about how to live freely in Christ And one of the things it says in terms of how to deal with possessions is live on 90%. It says the best way to live is to live on 90% and give 10% back to God for God's work in the world. Can you do that? Are you free to do that? Could you do that? Would you do that? 
The Bible says the best way to live is to give first to God and to give by percentages. And it sets a standard, not a ceiling, but a standard, a starting place as 10%. It says it will help you grow spiritually. It will help you see if you're free, if you're trusting in God, even with your possessions. Whenever the Bible talks about tithing, It's usually making the same point that Jesus makes in His conversation with the man in our story today. Trust God first, even with your possessions. That is a sign of spiritual growth. It's a sign of our freedom in Christ. So there are two warnings here in our story today. I put them in the outline. Beware pride that leads to judgmentalness. And beware trusting your possessions rather than God. These are hard lessons. These are hard lessons to learn. Mark makes it clear In the story today, how hard it is. He has Jesus say twice how hard it is to do this. How hard it is to enter into the kingdom of God. And then says, and the man went away grieving. He's grieving over the answer that he's heard. Now it is interesting to me that every biblical commentary I read on this passage, and actually... I think everyone I've ever read on this passage, they all assume that the man went away grieving because he was going to keep all of his possessions. But Mark doesn't say that. Mark doesn't tell us what the man did except for that he went away grieving. I think it may say more about Americans and American biblical commentators that they all assume that he could not take the step that Jesus laid out. But Mark doesn't give us the answer. So maybe the man went away grieving because he'd enjoyed his possessions as much as he'd enjoyed his pride. And he was getting ready to give them both up. Maybe he went away grieving because he's decided he's going to follow Jesus and give up his pride and give up his possessions. And trust that Jesus is right. That He should do that so that He might grow closer to God in this life. Sometimes we have to grieve where we thought we were in life so that God can take us to where God wants us to go. Sometimes it's painful to grow as a disciple of Christ. Sometimes we have to give some things up and we grieve those things. Jesus never says, oh, this is the easiest path you can take. It can be hard. It can be difficult to trust God. In all things. To surrender all one's life to God, even one's possessions, especially if you live in the richest country the world has ever seen. But there's this last part here. As Mark continues to tell us about the disciples struggling with how can this be and what's going to happen, 
Verse 26, Mark tells us these disciples were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? If it's so hard and this man with many possessions hasn't gotten there yet, then who can be saved? And of course, their assumption is very similar to what we often see in our culture where we assume that the financially affluent are the ones who are blessed and maybe even the ones favored by God. But Jesus says just the opposite of that. He talks about the danger of wealth and possessions and reminds the disciples repeatedly it's a trap to trust your possessions rather than trusting God. It's a dangerous place to be as a person of faith to have many possessions. Not because wealth is bad or wealthy people are bad, but simply because we are finite creatures. And it's so much easier to trust in our things that we control than to trust in God and to believe surely God will provide and God will lead. Jesus says, oh, for those with many possessions, the path of discipleship, of trusting God, is a difficult matter. And they think then, who can be saved? And Jesus tells them. It's the best part of the whole story. It's the good news. It's right at the heart of the Gospel. It's in verse 27 when Jesus says to them, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Do you hear the good news? For God, all things are possible. The Gospel says we do not save ourselves. God does that. We do not extend grace to ourselves. God does that. We do not create ourselves. We do not redeem ourselves. That's God's work in our lives. For mortals, it is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. Thanks be to God. 